Like many of us, I like to get on Facebook a couple of times a week. I know most of you don't believe that, but literally, I have no notifications coming to my phone. And we'll talk about that at another conversation. But on Facebook, I get a lot of questions, probably a dozen or so a week, that I try to answer the, to the best of my ability, and most importantly, that I try to answer contextually. A dear friend, Edward Dalcor, and I have started a podcast called Theology Answers, and we'll give you more information in the weeks to come. One of the questions that I get often, though, is about the second commandment, and how is it that we in this day could violate it? I mean, after all, are any of us actually bowing down to an idol? Well, not in reality. But some people have a really, really sticky conscience about this thing. And seeing a picture of a so-called Jesus or a representation of God in some human form via painting or picture or actor can really, really hurt people. Now, for some of you, it may not be a big deal at all. But for others, it causes them great pain. It causes them spiritual problems. It causes them spiritual discernment to the point that they feel guilty for seeing things that look like Jesus or supposedly look like Jesus. I've written about this several times and I've answered the question a lot. So I thought that I would add this podcast as a way of just illustrating what I believe the Bible teaches and then also how we should live this out in our, in our present life. Scripture says in Exodus 20, Verses 4, 5, and 6. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. First, let's think about what it says. It says, you shall not. See, the language in the Hebrew prescribes an absolute prohibition of any image of God set before men. The commandment here then is twofold. One, you shall absolutely not make an image of God for any purpose. And two, you shall absolutely not worship any image. This means that an image that reflects the nature of the Lord in one's mind would invade their worship. For example, you might have a fondness of a specific picture that you saw of a so-called Jesus as a child, and the remembrance of that picture might bring fondness and affection for Jesus, which is not a true picture of Jesus. For the sake of understanding, the Lord prohibits any use or existence of him as an image. In Deuteronomy 4, Moses instructs God's people to have a fondness of the Lord in the heart and to never paint him with the eye. God is spirit and has no form. Thus he must be worshipped in spirit. As Jesus would say in John 6, the Father is worshipped in spirit and truth. His self-revelation can be understood through Jesus Christ, who has a body and a form. Jesus' body, though, is no longer in the world, but in the abode of God as Jesus ascended into heaven. Paul says that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So, as God desires to be known, Christ makes him known. The fullness of God's glory is revealed in Jesus Christ. We see that in John 1, 14, Colossians, Hebrew 1, 2 Corinthians 4, etc. And no other means of identifying God's likeness is allowed, period, in any manner. 
Scripture, the Word, the Logos, reveals Jesus perfectly to us. A picture of Jesus on film or canvas can teach something about Jesus contrary to Scripture, and worse, could cause us to consider what we know and love about Jesus to be aroused by what we see rather than the truth of the Word of God. We have this phrase around my home and in our ministry called, Oh, there's Uncle Billy. Uncle Billy, he, he's the blue-eyed, blonde-haired Jesus, or man, seen adorning the relics of history that has no resemblance to the historical Jesus. Of course, Jesus was not Caucasian, nor was he European. These images were birthed in the mid-third century, when depictions of the roles of Jesus began to arise. For example, the Good Shepherd. Once Constantine embraced Christianity, pictures of a so-called Jesus became common and were central to worship and adoration. Historians revealed narratives of parishioners bound down to these images symbolically as a representative of Jesus Christ. Depictions of Jesus originally were clean-shaven and youthful, but by the 5th century these depictions began to portray long hair in relation to the pagan god of Greece, namely the sun god Apollo, as a symbol of rule. As time progressed, artists wanted to capture and portray the different roles and attributes of Jesus on canvas. In doing so, his image changed and continually molded until the embodiment and knowledge of Jesus came from these pictorial attributes. A beard was added later in history to reveal strength like Jupiter and Neptune, and eventually the progressive combination of a slender, effeminate, bearded man with long hair took root. Once European influence captured much of the world's art, the result is the man most people show today as Jesus. He looks just like a man I once knew who was a hippie named Billy. So that's why a few of us call that picture Uncle Billy. It is not in any form or any depiction a picture of Jesus, but it is in every form a direct violation of God's word to call it Jesus. By the fact that the depiction is recognized by so many as Jesus reveals the idolatry of the image. In John chapter 4, Jesus teaches that true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. I think previously I said John 6, but I meant John 4. Jesus reduces the precepts of any religious experience as the potential for being idolatrous, such as the temple, and speaks strongly that those who worship God will only do so through the Son. God chooses to reveal himself fully through his Son, and because the Son has ascended, the only means of seeing and knowing Jesus is through the lens of Scripture. To invade the glorious view of what Scripture reveals with a man-made fondness is to rob God of His intended glory. Ultimately, people are unable to avoid associating what they see with their eyes as a representation of what they fondly hold in their hearts. For example, when we read a book, we envision the characters in the book. We involve our minds into the fantasy as we read. Then, if a movie is released, it never seems right. If we see the movie first, the book reveals itself in relation to the images that we have in our mind's eye. In a very similar way, but more tragic way, depictions of Jesus can reversely be idolatrous, unaware. If you love the Lord Jesus and you're walking along in town and observe a painting of Jesus through a gallery window, you may feel joyful or emotional. At that moment, you have worshipped a graven image, and that is why depictions not derived from God's prescribed revelation are forbidden. Let's talk about seeing what is not seen. Scripture says that God has shown us the fullness of His glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul says that we hope in what we cannot see now, but we love Jesus anyway as we peer into the Word of God. Peter also recapitulates that sentiment. One day we will see Jesus face to face, 
Until then, we do ourselves a great injustice to recognize Jesus from any portion of man's caricature, whether in words or pictures. The apostles teach continually about the hope that is unseen in contrast to what is seen. John expounds on the reality that they have seen Christ, they've touched him, they've heard him in the flesh, but now that he has been manifest to you, they manifest, they proclaim him to you through the writing of Scripture. This writing, proclamation of the eternal life, is what brings communion with God, not the description of paintings or pictures of their memories. Peter explains to his readers that they do not believe in clever myths when discussing the truth of the resurrected Lord. He continues to say that their eyewitness accounts are not valid proof of their claims, but that the scriptures stand as the better and sure evidence of the Lord's coming and return, to which his readers would do well to pay attention. Seeing pictures representing Jesus is damaging to the body of Christ because it belittles the glorious and makes it an image of man. I won't go into how this sits squarely in Romans chapter 1, but it would be wise to admonish us from that text. The flesh resolves to find hope, warmth, and adoration in what we can see. But as I've clearly stated, this contradicts what God has established through His command for our good. And when so often we find ourselves fighting for the rights against the Lord's commands, it is proof positive that we love our flesh, revealing that we have no hope for eternal life apart from the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The images of Jesus are so affirmed as such that when people cross our paths with beards and long hair, the first thing that pops into many people's minds is, Look! They look like Jesus. We are far better served with the words of God from Scripture working through our minds instead of the emotional attachment to the experiences of the sensory. Images of Jesus offer a fleshly assistance to our devotion, which, by definition, is idolatry. Even if we are not captured by the aforementioned fodder, we do well by our brethren to be careful of their stumbling. In California, when I pastored there, a dear brother brought some pictures of Jesus to hang in the property. These images were installed without the knowledge of the elders. And right before service, one of those pictures of Uncle Billy was centered at the entrance of the main doors right in front of the worship area. Just seconds before the service began, a dear sister who was raised Roman Catholic ran in exclaiming of her horror to see such a demonic relic hanging near where she would worship the true God of Scripture. Let us keep ourselves from idols including our weak understanding of the severity of those who used to worship them. Images of Jesus lie to us. They teach us to know Christ in a way that we should not know Him, in error and caricature. God understands our need to see and has given us His Spirit that we might see what we cannot see through the pages of Scripture. This isn't only talking about pictures, but movies, images, caricatures, statues, or books that teach something about Jesus that is not found in Scripture. Be discerning, beloved.